Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone. This is Philip Katafamo with Believe in Angels on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in L.A. and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Welcome back, everybody. Um, it's surprisingly two weeks in a row that we've had an episode, which I think is a great streak that I hope we continue forever. Um, I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Jim Eisenacher. Jim, how are you doing today, sir? I have spent way too much money today, and I just got done shoveling Panda Express into my mouth. I'm feeling great. Good. As soon as we finish this podcast, I'm hooking up my Nintendo 64, yes. and I'm going to play Pokemon Snap for the rest of the night. Yes, Jim uh, recently purchased a Pikachu edition of, po- of of the N64. Is that what it is? I know it's got Pikachu on it. Yes, it's the special Pikachu edition, and I've wanted it, and I came to the decision that I am uh, basically going to be alone forever, and okay. I'm just going to spend my money on whatever I want. You know, Jim, more power to you. Uh, speaking of spending money and doing things and whatever the hell they want, which is a terrible transition. Uh, oh, no. let's. Let, I'm going to start with this. Since we're talking about your personal life, I'm going to talk about mine. I've been watching this show called Euphoria on HBO, and it's got Zendaya in it. It's like a high school teen drama, but it's it's got a lot of very adult uh uh, like topics and stuff. It is an incredibly good show. Uh, it's very, very, uh, it's very serious, of course. And it's, uh, it de- like I said, it deals with a lot of, I don't know, really serious and, and scary things that are going on in real life. Um, but outside of that, I don't want to get too into it because it's kind of graphic. But look, the show itself is is beautifully shot. It is very well written, very well acted. Uh, so definitely go check that out. If you like those kind of shows, I don't know, like Riverdale or like I guess 13 Reasons Why, even though that show is absolute garbage. Uh, if you like those kind of shows, the more drama-centered shows, definitely, and you have HBO, of course, uh, definitely go check out Euphoria. It is uh, really, really good. Uh, we're going to start off the show talking about this outside of my TV preferences and Jim's purchases of N64s. The MLB Players Association and the MLB Owners Association are still working out the kinks as to when and how they are going to get the 2020 MLB season underway. Uh, I got an article here from CBS Sports. This was uh, about an hour ago it was posted. It says, MLB 2020 season plan, owners approved proposal for July start, talks reportedly being without salary discussion. This has been a big issue for a little while during these talks as to how the players are going to be paid. Um, I know a few players have spoken out, which we are going to get to, but I want to say this. The MLB's proposal right now uh, is an 82 regular, uh, excuse me, 82 game regional schedule and a universal DH, which is great. Uh, a 30 man active roster with a 20 player taxi squad. So obviously it's going to be a long summer, so they might as well fill out the rosters as much as possible. 14 teams in the postseason with games played in home cities in October and a 50 50 revenue split for players and owners. Jim, uh, what are your thoughts on this proposed MLB season? It's atrocious, is, is what it is. I mean, it, it's funny how it takes a national, a global catastrophe mm-hmm. and 
everybody losing all kinds of money for the owners to finally say, okay, we'll do a 50-50 split. Right. And, but and, when everything's going good mm-hmm. and everybody's getting money, uh, no, we don't need to do a 50-50 split. It's atrocious. And this is really going to backfire on the MLB because the, the upcoming you know, uh, contract negotiations for the CBA between them and the Players Association is already looking contentious. This is just going to make it even worse. And I, I, I was alive during the 94 strike. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, the peak of baseball, but my dad was. Yeah. And it, it, it almost ruined the sport. Yes, it did. And, and you know, from an outsider's perspective, as somebody who is do, does not play in the MLB and does not understand the sort of hierarchy in terms of the pay scale, um, for, here's my opinion on this. Um, Look, and we'll talk about Blake Snell's comments in a little bit. And actually, I'm going to hold off on my comments before after we talk about Blake Snell and Trevor Bauer. Um, the, this is very common in in sports where you have revenue sharing. NFL, it's a forty uh, a forty eight to fifty two split. I think if I'm doing my math correctly, uh, the NHL players fifty percent, and NBA players get forty nine to fifty one percent, depending on expected revenue. And that's of course during a regular season. Now Blake Snell uh, commented recently on his Twitch stream that he will probably not be playing uh, if he is not paid in full. And here is the actual quote and I, I'm just going to read off what it says it says y'all got to understand man for me to go for a, for me to take a pay cut is not happening because the risk is through the roof it's a shorter season less pay I got to get my money I'm not playing unless I get mine okay and that's just the way it is for me like I'm sorry you guys think differently but the risk is way the hell higher and the amount of money I'm asking is way lower why would I think about doing that like you know I'm just I'm sorry and that is Blake Snell's comments on his Twitch stream. Uh, the videos are posted on Twitter and whatnot. Jim, what are, I'll let you express your opinions, and then I'll say mine. I agree with Blake Snell and everything except for the way he chooses to speak his words, because some of his grammar is atrocious. But yeah. uh, I agree with him, because when you look at whenever a player decides to hold out, mm-hmm. they are constantly piled a bunch of crap on top of them about you have a contract, you agreed to a contract, you should play that contract out. You're being selfish. Yeah. But now we expect them to play their contract out with making less money, which by the way, they were they agreed to some that money. Both sides agreed to that money, but now they're just not going to pay them that money. And I understand there's less money coming in because there's not attendance, there's not as much uh concessions right. and and apparel being sold, I understand that. Yes. But these should really be things you take into account when agreeing on a contract. You do everything else. We always hear these stories about, you know, when players go into arbitration and you've got members of your own team saying some of the absolute worst things about you in hopes to, you know, get you down a couple extra thousand dollars. Right. Why, why would we expect the players to do anything less but demand the money that they were promised, which is really what it comes down to. They were promised this money. That's the money that they deserve. That's the money they should get. And I fully agree with Blake Snell, on, like I said, on everything except for his grammar. So here's a situation that happened with me. With my full-time job, I am a play-by-play broadcaster for a local high school team here. And whenever I do a game, I get $150 uh, for doing the game. That is because we get sponsors. It's more money when we do football than the other sports. 
when wrestling season and basketball season rolled around, two sports that are not as popular as football, the owner of the station asked me if it was okay if I if he only paid me $100 because we had less sponsors, and I said that was fine. Now, I understand that there is a difference between the way that Blake Snell gets paid and the way that I get paid. We clearly live different lifestyles. Uh, we play. We are both in different professions, but it comes down to this. Um, how much money do you really need? I mean, Blake Snell is coming off of a Cy Young award-winning season. Or, uh, two, I think he won it two years ago. He, he won a Cy Young. Um, or maybe it was last year. I, I don't honestly remember. But um, Blake Snell is, is in a situation now, and a few other MLB players are in a situation now where I think they should put that aside. Um, and I understand that you're given a contract. You're given some guys are guaranteed money. Some guys aren't. Uh, and I understand that. Uh, we're actually going to talk about a guy who's getting guaranteed money here in a few minutes. Uh, but here, here's my thing on this is uh, you're a millionaire already. Uh, what is uh, $500,000 compared to a million? It's a less of 500000 How much of that in your lifestyle is really, really uh, um, causing you so much distress in your life that if you just lost a few hundred thousand dollars, it's a big problem for you? Uh, like I mentioned, uh, yes, $50 less for me is, is quite annoying. And I can understand that maybe even $50,000 for Blake Snell is annoying as well. Blake Snell is on Twitch. I'm pretty sure I'm not confirmed, but I'd have a good feeling that he probably gets money from his Twitch streams. He just got off of winning the MLB, uh, 20, the show player tournament, which, I mean, I don't know if he got money from that, but it probably drew more people to his Twitch streams because he is very, very good at MLB, the show. And he's a great pitcher. Don't get me wrong. He, he deserves the money he's paid, but we're in a situation where you have to put this aside for the fans. It's one, hopefully, hopefully, it's one season where you get paid slightly less than what you were expected. And the point of this being is we're arguing billionaires versus millionaires. And it's honestly the same thing for the owner side, too. If the players want, the players are the ones out there uh, possibly risking their, their health for the betterment of your organization. And I understand that, you know, maybe the owner should sort of be a little bit more generous to the the MLB players who are the ones out there playing every day. Uh, but at the same time, the MLB players have to understand that there are a lot of people who want to see them play. The TV numbers will be probably a lot larger this season, obviously. And if we get to the point where we can start letting more people into the stands, then obviously you'll start seeing more revenue uh, from what Jim mentioned, concessions and whatnot. But in my opinion, it comes down to being a team player. At the end of the day, Blake Snell, you play for the Tampa Bay Rays. You play for whoever owns the team, just like myself. I'm not going to hold out because they're taking $50 from me because that's $100 I'm losing out on. If you are sitting out for $50,000, that's X amount of money that you're holding out on because of some sort of hierarchy that you have in your mindset that you deserve to get all the money in the world for playing baseball, which, again, I understand Blake Snell's a great player, but you got to think about who else does this affect? I mean, I miss baseball. I know it doesn't matter. I know Blake Snell probably doesn't give a shit about if I watch him or not because I'm not a Rays fan. Uh, I do like Blake Snell. Uh, but there are people who really could use baseball right now. And there's a bunch of minor leaguers who would uh, play for the half percentage that you're losing. You're, they they get paid that in a year. So in my opinion, I, in all honesty, I think they should just – you don't want to play, don't play. This is America. This is the freest country in the entire world. 
You can choose to do whatever you want. Blake Snell can probably make back a good portion of his money from doing playing Twitch or playing MLB The Show on Twitch or his Twitch streams in general, or if he's got any sponsorship deals, he could probably get sponsor deals through his Twitch thing. He can still make up that money. But I think you put that aside for the betterment of the organization and the fans who go and watch you so that you can get paid that X amount of millions of dollars. If not, then don't play. Honestly, same thing with Trevor Bauer. I know Clayton Kershaw made a comment before about that. Mike Trout's commented about not playing because of the COVID-19. That's fine. Don't. It's perfectly fine. I don't care how much money you're losing out on. I really don't. I want to watch you play baseball. That is your job. You are getting an opportunity to do your job, to continue the sport that you are passionate about, that you worked your entire life to get to the highest level of, and you just, it's about money now. And and that, to me, takes away the love of the game and the passion of the game. I love play-by-play. I have done play-by-play for free. Jim and I have both done play-by-play for free because we love doing it. We love the passion behind it. If you're passionate about something, it doesn't matter how much you're getting paid. Just play or don't. There are minor leaguers waiting to take your spot, and then you can go from there. That's my opinion on it. Yeah, but there's there's something that <clears throat> excuse me we're not we're, we're forgetting to discuss, and that was the fact that the players and the players association already accepted their prorated salaries. It was the owners that reneged on that agreement and tried to force a fifty fifty split because it would be uh, even cheaper for them for the owners. So uh, that's the reason why I'm big on this. Plus, we have to look at the fact that it's a constant cat and mouse game between the owners and the players association, right? You know, they're they're trying to position and set themselves up for the 2021 PBC negotiations. The owners made the first move, and either way, it's a mess. Like you said, you got billionaires arguing with millionaires, yeah. and the only one that's going to lose is me over here rolling quarters because I was dumb and spent too much money today. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's very true. And like I said, uh, and, and look... <laughs> Whether it's on the, uh, there's no right and wronger that on this. I, everyone's got their own side. Whatever. I, I'm not in the middle of these 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 con, these negotiations. I have no say in what happens. I'm only just spitting out my opinion on it. Uh, I just want baseball back. And I, I and like I said, if Blake Snell or whoever doesn't want to play, there are minor leaguers there who will be happy to take your spot at your pay cut, regardless of how much you're given, because they want an opportunity to make the money that you make. So sit out a season, Blake Snell. It's going to be a shortened season. It'll be done by October. It'll probably start in July. It'll be two months long. Whatever. Don't play. Continue to play MLB The Show on Twitch. Continue your Twitch stream and watch everyone else play baseball because you wanted to hold out for more money or the full contract. I don't, whatever. Uh, we're just going to move on, and we're going to talk about another guy who is expected to get a lot of money, and that's somebody who hasn't played in a hot minute, and it's Prince Fielder. Prince Fielder, apparently, according to this article from Sports Illustrated, Prince Fielder could end up being MLB's highest paid player in 2020, which to me is fascinating because I don't think Prince Fielder has played since like 2012. Yeah, when he, when he jacked his neck up and had to retire. Yeah, on oh, no, 2016, yes, of course. It, it, uh, and and please don't let that be any sort of implication that I don't take the seriousness of his injury. It's it's unfortunate that Prince Fielder had to stop playing because the guy was on a tear with the Rangers. He had some phenomenal seasons with the Tigers and the Brewers. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, he did have to retire. But he is owed $24 million. This is the final year of his contract with the Rangers. Guaranteed money. And if we don't have an MLB season, he will officially be the highest paid baseball player in the MLB probably for the first time in his career. Yeah, good on Prince Fielder. You know, we're talking about a kid who was 
getting bombs at the age of 12 in major league baseball ballparks, you know? Yeah. I, I, I always liked Prince Fielder, except for the fact that, you know, he terrorized the Angels when he was with Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a big dude who somehow still had some sense of speed. Yeah. But I, I am I am all for Prince Fielder making all of the money. So congratulations to Prince Fielder for gar- getting a guaranteed $24 million this year. I will continue to live in envy of Prince Fielder, a uh, phenomenal baseball player. It's very unfortunate that his career was cut short due to injuries. However, there is a pitcher who is not a pitcher. Well, Prince Fielder's a, a first baseman. But anyway, there's a pitcher who is looking to uh, bounce back here and a guy who maybe make the Rays roster if Blake Snell doesn't want to play or the Reds roster if Trevor Bauer doesn't want to play, and that's Matt Harvey. Uh, Matt Harvey, former Met, former Los Angeles Angel, had a kind of bad season with the Angels uh, uh, one you know one one year deal and it was an attempt to maybe fill out the rotation and get him back to the to the way he was unfortunately it didn't pan out and he got cut midseason but uh, Matt Harvey there might be an opening in Tampa Bay or Cincinnati if Blake Snell and Trevor Bauer don't want to play so hopefully Matt Harvey will get an opportunity I'd love to see him get back to where he was um I wouldn't I'll be honest with you I was burned I'm, I'm that ex who was uh who doesn't want to see their uh, former, you know, betrothed yeah. uh, become something better. They need to be under me, and uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I don't want to see that. Plus, let's not forget that one of the biggest knocks on Matt Harvey has always been his attitude and personality. You know, it's, yes. that's always been one of the major knocks as he comes off as, you know, kind of a, uh, how do I say this politically correct? Uh, he's been kind of a Delta Bravo, if you want to read between those lines. <laughs> he's been a little difficult, is what Jim is trying to say. Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. Also, quick question, because I want to throw it back to the Prince Fielder thing for just one second. Okay. Do you think that the Pirates players would make more money if they filed for unemployment? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, probably. I mean, I guess. That is a cheap organization. It, it really is. Uh, they're, they're still... What isn't isn't Chris Archer's contract still technically being paid by the Rays? I would I would have to imagine so. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, I well I more judge Matt Harvey on what he did on the field, and he pitched very very well. Um, unfortunately, he didn't necessarily have the most success with the Angels. Did pitch okay with the Reds, and had a obviously a Cy Young. I believe he won the Cy Young with the Mets uh, before having Tommy John yeah. surgery, and really just. Not even coming back to nearly how good he was. But, uh, you know, despite Matt Harvey's attitude, I guess, um, he deserves an opportunity to play just like everybody else does. And, and hopefully somebody will find a, uh, a, a a spot for him, whether it's in the minors or whatever. Who knows? Maybe it's humbled him a little bit and, and maybe he can get back to where he was. Like I mentioned, there may be an opening on a couple teams soon. Uh, but the, the Matt Harvey thing made me think about uh, the best one-hit wonder MLB season. Now, I will say this. I will preface this by saying Matt Harvey did have, I think, two, a couple good seasons as a pitcher uh, with uh, the Mets and the Reds, not the Angels. Uh, but I, I'm talking more specifically about his Cy Young Award-winning season. Uh, and I, it got me thinking about a couple one-hit wonders. And I, I put together four, Jim. I don't know how many of you put together, but I got four of the guys that I do remember watching play. There are obviously... More examples, uh, but I wasn't around uh, from ni- from before the beginning of time to 1995. I didn't exist. And so from 1995 to 2020, I do exist. And so I was going with players that I've actually seen. So, Jim, do do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first with the one-hit wonders? How do we want to do this? 
Let's let you lead it off. You you set the pace. All right, I'm going to set the pace here. I've got the first one is Chris Chris Coughlin of the uh, Florida Marlins at the time. They were transitioning to the Miami Marlins shortly after. In 2009, Coughlin batted 321, had a 39. Uh, I didn't actually didn't label these. So 321 was his batting average, nine home runs, and 47 RBIs. If I remember correctly, and I might be mixing him up with Logan Morrison, who also played for the Marlins at the same time, I believe Chris Coughlin won this, the Rookie of the Year that year in 2009, and I'm going to double-check that uh, while I, I give out my, my next one, um, my, my next player here, and it is Michael Morse. In 2011 with the Washington Nationals, Morse had been bounc- bouncing around for a little bit there uh, before, obviously, I think he found some some time with the Giants and won a World Series in 2012, or maybe it was 2014. But Morse with the the Nationals in 2011 batted 303, had 31 home runs and 95 RBIs. I believe 2011 was also Bryce Harper's rookie season. So Morse being the elder outfielder, uh, showing a lot of the, the stroke with 31 homers. He, he was always pretty good for a good bomb every now and then if you put him in as a pinch hitter. I remember later in his career he signed with somebody as a pinch hitter, and I think it was actually the Giants. Ended up hitting up a bit pretty big home run. The next one I have is for our Houston listeners. For some reason, we have Houston Astros fans listening to the show, but I do welcome you and I hope that you stick around, even though that previous statement may say otherwise. Uh, oh, hold on. I got them. I got them. I got them. Okay, great. Um, I'm just going to keep going because I only got two more. So uh, Jason Lane in 2005, the year the Strohs went to the World Series for the first time, 267 batting average, 26 home runs and 78 RBIs. I remember being kind of a Pretty big Jason Lane fan, uh, playing as him in MVP Baseball 2005. He was always a good late-round pick for me. Uh, I I very much enjoyed watching Jason Lane play uh, on the Astros before they were cheaters. Uh, And and because we are an Angels show, I wanted to include a Los Angeles Angel, Peter Borges, who I was also a huge fan of. The the high-waist, the the pulled-up pants, Jesus, and the, the... the, this running around, oh my god, I'm just fumbling around here. He had the high pants, he pulled up his pants, it was great to watch. <laughs> I feel like I want to restart, but I'm not going to, I'm just going to push through it. 271 batting average, 12 home runs, 43 RBIs. Also, uh, 2011 was Mike Trout's rookie season, kind of overshadowed overshadowed Peter Borges, but Borges did end up having a pretty solid career with a couple other teams, uh, but never got to that same point. So those are my best one-hit wonders as I fumbled around for that. Jim, what do you got? Oh, wow. I was when I when I said I got I got him I meant I was talking to our Houston uh, fans I was banging on my trash can but oh, okay so uh, gotcha. I'm gonna jump to uh, can I say one I thing we got a couple here so I'm gonna go with Mark Fryer his 2003 season can I say one thing um, real quick yeah go ahead Chris Coughlin did win the uh, uh, Rookie of the Year in tw- 2009 just want to throw that oh out hey there. you know what good good for him I love being right go ahead I'm sorry uh, so yeah let's let's talk about Mark Fryer who was, I believe, the second overall pick in the 2001 draft. He had a really good rookie season, but then his 2 season, he just went off. He had, two, uh, I think, just shy of 250 strikeouts. Uh, he went 18-6, and six, if memory serves correct, a little over uh, 2.5 ERA. That, it might even be lower. I'm trying to remember mm-hmm. all this. Um he finished somewhere in the top three for the Cy Young, but, you know, then the Steve Bartman thing happened, and he right. just never recovered from that. Yeah, injuries and, uh, are injuries The are rumors thing say that Mark Pryor could actually hit him further than Sammy Sosa. Really? Yeah. 
Oh, wow. I do remember Mark Pryor's career being kind of derailed by injuries. He's currently the bullpen coach, or no, the pitching coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers right now. He's their former bullpen coach. But uh, do you have any others, Jim, or are you just Mark Pryor? I, I do. I do have another one. And this okay. one uh, you're going to have to decide on because it's a little bit controversial. Okay. I'm listening. I'm going with Luis Gonzalez. Specifically? Now, Lu- Luis Gonzalez is, yes, he is a five-time All-Star. So... You may be wondering why I would have him on there, but if you think back and remember his 2001 season, he never duplicated that. Knocking in 57 home runs, 142 runs batted in. Uh, he he had an OPS of one point something astronomical. Mm-hmm. His previous highs to that point were 31, 114, and 952 respectively. So yeah. whether you want to call that smack dab in the steroid era, I certainly don't want to put that on him. I am not suggesting that's what he did. Mm-hmm. I'm saying if you want to label it that, or if you just want to say this guy had a breakout year at the right time for the Diamondbacks, mm-hmm. I'm just saying that I believe that constitutes as a one-hit wonder for him. It seems like I'm looking at uh, Gonzo's statistics here, and I actually did get an opportunity to interview Luis Gonzalez. It was great. He's a very, very nice guy, and Randy Johnson. Are, they're both great. Um, just a small flex there. But you're right, Jim. Uh, Gonzo never really got close to 57 after that. His closest to that is the year before, funny enough, where he hit 31 home runs and then uh, he had 28 and 02. A lot of his best statistics came when he played with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, it, it, he, he played with Arizona, I believe it looks like from... I'm trying to get the numbers here. Uh, it looks like he played with Arizona from uh, a 19... Let's see here, 1999 to 2005, it looks like, and then he he made his way to a couple of the teams, um, one of them being the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he played for the Tigers before that, he played for the Cubs, and then uh, in Houston and Florida, and ended his career with Florida, but yeah, he never really got back to that 2001 season where he was really tearing it up. Uh, And and I think, honestly, you could say Luis Gonzalez had more of a one-hit Wonder with a team, with an entire organization. You look at all of his statistics with the with the uh, Ash. Oh my gosh, the Diamondbacks, and really that's where his best numbers came. Except in 1998 when he hit 23 home runs with the Tigers. Other than that, I mean, you know, he had seasons where he hit 17 and 15 and 13 and 10. He had double digit home runs. And other than that, I mean, he really could never duplicate the success he had in Arizona. No, it was definitely a blip. And finally, my last one here is this is going to be a name that, that'll probably uh, blast you here, but Marcus Giles for the Braves in 03. Oh, okay. I mean, if you look at what the Braves had going in that year, you had uh, Marcus Giles, Rafael Farcall, Andrew Jones uh, in, in the outfield, yeah. along with you still had uh, Chipper Jones yes. playing and Gary Sheffield at the time. Gary Sheffield, by the way, quickest wrists I've ever seen to get around on, on any pitch. He, he was fun. With the weirdest um, batting stance but, ever. But you know what? It worked. I mean, yeah, let's, not, let's not even begin to talk about Nomar Garcia-Para if we want to talk weird stuff at the, at the plate. I love Nomar. Uh, but, but if you look at Giles, he wasn't the best player, but he was definitely showing some signs. He had some great numbers that year, but then the injuries just came and just really derailed him to the point where he actually ended up was out of the minors at... 2008, I believe, maybe maybe earlier than that, 2007, 2006. But yeah, 
Marcus Giles definitely tops uh, my list for one-hit wonders. Uh, another one that I just want to mention briefly before we move on to the next topic is Brady Anderson, who hit 50 home runs in 1996. Never got close to that again. He only hit 24. That was the next highest statistic for Brady. Uh, obviously, I think he he ended up getting caught taking steroids during that time, but uh, another one to to uh, to mention. Um, let's move on to some football news before we get ready to wrap things up here. Uh, Jim, the Los Angeles Rams have released their new unis. I know you're not a big fan of them, but uh, I got to say I like them, so I'll ask you, Jim. Rams new uniforms, smash or pass? Um whatever the third option is for burn it and start over. So pass. They, they're, they're, when, are, when is the NFL going to learn that anything gradient is never going to succeed in the NFL? you got the Rams uniforms that look like a hot mess. You've got the, the, the uh, who are they, uh, Atlanta, the oh, Falcons yeah. jerseys who have that gradient thing that look like literally the juice at the bottom of a dumpster. And I think that if we just pair them together and just let them burn and have them start over, it'll be a lot better. I mean, when you get new uniforms, they're supposed to be better than what you had previously. And I don't think either of those two teams, you know, improved on that form. Uh, I will say I actually kind of am okay with the Rams uniforms. I do agree they're quite bland. Uh, the only uniform that I quite enjoy is the blue uniform with the yellow lettering. They're, they're sort of, I guess it's their home uniforms. I do quite like those ones. Uh, other than that, they're quite bland, and I do agree the gradient is a little weird. Um, I, I also think the Falcons, excuse me, I think the Falcons have probably the worst redesign of their uniforms. I, I, I do like what they did with the Browns, even though it's just essentially their old uniforms. Same thing with the Buccaneers. You can argue that those are basically the the old uniforms before, but uh, those are two really good redesigns. Uh, personally, I think it's time, and I can't wait for Nike to stop sponsoring the NFL, because I have never really been a huge fan of some of the redesigns that they've done in the past. Seattle comes to mind. Uh, another team that comes to mind is the uh, the Buccaneers with their really gross uniforms. They're, it's weird because they make these awesome unis for, for Oregon, for the University of Oregon, and then they come to the NFL and all their creative ideas are just thrown out the window and they're like, how about a weird font and then we have 16 different colors and it's the Buccaneers uniforms. Yeah, you know, it, it, with, with the Rams specifically, they look like what happens when you decide to relocate your franchise to yeah. Madden and you only have like four different options. Same thing with the Falcons. From. Yeah, it, it, they, they went bland, and I know I, the one thing I really don't like about the Falcons, and I, I don't know if it's because I'm not a fan of them or I'm not from there, but the ATL on the front, I understand that's what the city is more or less labeled as, is the ATL for Atlanta, but right. Put Atlanta on, on the front of <laughs> or it, or just put like, Falcons. I mean, like in all honesty. Yeah, yeah I mean, really. I, but uh, I really like that they more or less kept the uh, color scheme. But I do not like the gradient numbers, and also I don't like the fact that they look like a postage, like a, a letter you put in 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 the mail to be sent out. When they've got the the Los Angeles Rams thing on on the right hand side, it looks like someone put a postage stamp. And they're ready to mail it in. Are they mailing in the season sale? What are they doing? I have no idea. It, it does look very weird. Like I said, I only really kind of like one of their variations. I feel the same way for the Chargers uniforms. A lot of people really like the Chargers uniforms. I, I don't. I, I don't really like the sort of old school look of them. I was fine with what the Chargers had initially, or if they had gone back to more what they had in the early 2000s. But 
despite that, well, let's move on to our last two topics here. Fox is planning, according to Joe Buck, Fox is planning to pump in crowd noise, digitized fans for and or I should say and digitized. This is the headline and digitized fans for NFL broadcasts. Uh, this is pretty much what John or, or uh, S. This is what Joe Buck said. It says it's pretty much a done deal. I think whoever is going to be at the control is going to have to be really good at their job and be realistic with how a crowd would react depending on what just happened on the field. Of course, this is implying uh, if we don't have fans in the the stands during the game, I would say this, just don't do that. I, I think it's so silly to pump in crowd noise from other games. It's not a natural reaction. You're instead controlling a person's natural reaction to a play. I understand as a broadcaster, the fan, I mean, when you get a great call, uh, listen back to, um, I mean, one that easily pops into mind is, is Kurt Gibson's home run in the 88 World Series. Vince Scully does that beautiful. He has the call, the ball lands, and he's silent. He lets the crowd continue to fill out the ambiance in the stadium and the environment. It builds the environment for you at home. Uh, and that is something that great broadcasters can do. They know when to shut up, and they know when to not talk over big moments. Uh, and Joe Buck is one of those guys who does a good job of not talking over big moments. I will say my gripe with Joe Buck is I think he he doesn't necessarily get as excited as I would like, but that's just his style. It's perfectly fine. Uh, I will say, please don't do this, Fox. Just let the game play out how it is. It'll be a little weird without fans for one season, hopefully. Uh, and and we don't need to have digitized fans or old footage of of fans crowding out the stadiums. You can clearly see that there's nobody there. Uh, and and don't pump in fake crowd noise. Just let the game play as it is. But put some mics on the players. Let that fill out the noise. Or or just. But to me, this is just a little too weird. Yeah, you know, Joe Buck actually came out and he's been going off most of the day going after people, specifically Sports Illustrated, who said that that Fox is, in fact, going to do this. Uh, He straight up said that this isn't what he said. Uh, He said, quote, uh, I've been saying for over a month, including on HBO in April, that some ambient crowd noise under a broadcast is a simple, necessary tool to normalize the viewing experience at home. Now, I will actually agree with him on that statement. Now, I am a big fan of pro wrestling. Pro wrestling has been going on throughout the Mm COVID-19, and it has been really hard for me to watch as a wrestling fan with no crowd there. It's weird. You don't get the same thrills, the highs and lows, because when when you are playing for somebody, you're playing to an audience. Yes. And it it would be a little weird. The only thing I want to ask is if they do this, and there is inevitably in Denver a hold on uh, Garrett Bowles at left tackle. Are they going to pipe in the crowd booing him at home? Because that happens a lot. I just want accuracy if they're going to do this. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe they might pump in a couple boos, or maybe they'll ask you to just get on the mic and scream boo whenever that guy goes in at left tackle. But uh uh, speaking no. of yeah, speaking of the Broncos, uh, something. This is a rumor, of course. This is not. This is not true. We're not one hundred percent true just yet. Uh, but going back to two thousand eighteen, so two years ago, the Cleveland Browns were sitting pretty at number one, getting ready to draft Baker Mayfield and not Lamar Jackson because they're dumb, and they they're apparently the Seattle Seahawks offered up Russell Wilson for that pick. Now, Jim. 
This has a few implications because, one, Russell Wilson then goes to the Cleveland Browns and gets to play with Nick uh, Nick Chubb. He gets to play with uh, Kareem Hunt. He gets to play with uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and uh, Jarvis Landry, a, a loaded offense. David Njoku's numbers go up. The Browns, in my opinion, are a Super Bowl contender at that point. Baker Mayfield now probably goes to Seattle, unless, of course, the Seattle Seahawks take someone else. Uh, and this makes Seattle a completely different team. They probably don't make the playoffs. They are already a pretty lackluster team with Russell Wilson. I can't imagine them playing football without Russell Wilson. Uh, But also, Jim, you mentioned to me that Russell Wilson was almost possibly a Denver Bronco. Yeah, you know, so I have a source that, you know, works in Denver media. I'm a big Broncos fan. Don't try to hide it, and I won't. But um, supposedly there was a debate going on in the war room Mm -hmm. between who the Broncos should take in the second round, between Russell Wilson and Brock Osweiler. And the deciding factor came down to Brock Osweiler is taller. That was the only knock they had against Russell Wilson, was that he was short. And we talked about this because at that time in 2012, I think it was, Peyton Manning had just joined the Broncos. The Seahawks had just signed Matt Flynn. And Russell Wilson, was when he was on Seattle, wasn't necessarily going to be the number one starter, but in preseason played phenomenal. And it started being like, well, Seattle just signed Matt Flynn, so... Are they just going to roll with Russell Wilson? And they ended up doing that. I think a season or two later, they ended up winning the Super Bowl. But uh, this is interesting because Seattle, this is where I I come in as, uh, Seattle still has a phenomenal defense at that point. They still have the Legion of Boom, which does keep them in games. But Matt Flynn did not play great with Seattle. I don't think he becomes uh, – he does not make up the, the the sort of gap that Russell Wilson fills in offensively because Russell Wilson is a phenomenal quarterback and Matt Flynn is not. Uh, but what's interesting here is Seattle, in my opinion, does not make the playoffs. They don't win the Super Bowl. It takes them completely out of the Super Bowl in 2014, which means that my favorite team, the San Francisco 49ers, don't lose to Seattle in the NFC Championship game because Callan Kaepernick doesn't throw an incompleted pat or an interception to uh, Malcolm Smith uh, when he uh, the attempted pass to Michael Crabtree in the NFC Championship uh, that was tipped by Russell uh, by by uh, Richard Sherman. Uh, that does not happen. So San Francisco goes to play Denver in the Super Bowl. Funny enough, they still have to match up against Russell Wilson, but it's not Russell Wilson under center. It's Peyton Manning, and Russell Wilson has is now in the shadows of a of Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos offense is completely different when Russell Wilson ends up taking over in 2015. So there are so many what ifs that happen here. Does San Francisco become the new Seattle? Does someone else come out of nowhere in the NFC? Do the Saints still reclaim? Uh, do still become? Uh, do they become a, a dynasty? Does Denver still win the Super Bowl in 2015? Did they lose to San Francisco in 2014? Whatever the case may be, or or 2013, I might have my dates mixed up. But regardless, this has so many implications had the Broncos just taken Russell Wilson. Yeah, and, oh, and I, also, I would very much like that, but I, I'm happy with how it turned out. And also... Because you cannot, you, you cannot forget the fact that Brock Osweiler played a very integral role yes. in the Broncos going to the, and winning the Super Bowl. When Peyton Manning got injured, he stepped in, played well. But I'm not going to let you get away with your Baker Mayfield hate. <laughs> That's got to stop. It will never stop. That's that's such a bad take. It's not. I think Baker Mayfield is an incredibly uh, mediocre quarterback. Uh, He seems like a fun guy to be around. Uh, He is... 
Gardner Minshew is what everyone wanted Baker Mayfield to be, and Baker Mayfield's just a pouty baby. So that's just my opinion on Baker Mayfield. But hey, I, man, two seasons, forty-nine passing touchdowns, seventy-five thousand yards, and a sixty-one percent completion percentage. If that's mediocre, sign me up. Because how that many takes playoffs? The playoffs that makes them a Super Bowl. Team. They have not made the playoffs. They have not gotten past. I don't. I don't think they've had a winning record since Baker Mayfield's been there. He is not a. He is not a deciding factor quarterback. He is better than most quarterbacks. I will agree, uh, but I do not think that he is at all a good quarterback. Um, but anyway, so where do we lay the fault on? On now you got me worked up. Where do we lay the fault on the fact that Freddie Kitchens uh, basically looked like a deer in headlights, and he had your favorite head coach and Hugh Jackson? Do we just not leave any fault there because those are two horrendously choice, horrendously bad choices? Uh, I mean. It is what it is. Uh, I I I see what the play on the field Boom, is. I win in the podcast. I see, <laughs> and now we're gonna. End. Uh, I see what what what. Regardless of a bad play call, Baker Mayfield can make changes at the line, and he does not. He throws multiple interceptions. He's a very in, in, He's a very incompetent quarterback, in my opinion. He was extremely overrated coming out of Oklahoma. I still stand strong that he is just a better version of Johnny Manziel, and I think he's going to be Jameis Winston, and he is not going to be a starting quarterback once his contract in Cleveland ends. It doesn't matter how many targets you can give that man. If he cannot properly throw to Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry and David Njoku, who are very capable receivers, he is not worthy of a starting quarterback position. I hope Baker Mayfield turns around because I think Cleveland is a very, very interesting team, especially with a new head coach. I just don't think that Baker Mayfield is as good as everyone says. He is a arrogant quarterback who does not have any any grounds to speak the way that he does, and I guess you could say the same thing about me because I've never touched a football field uh, professionally or amateur, or I should take that back, professionally we, or we in need high to school. Have a, we need to have a side bet for if we have an, the, the, the season this year, uh, some kind of over-under on Baker Mayfield. We definitely can, but for right now, Jim, we need to wrap up the show. So if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts on social media. We have a few other sub categories that uh, re- that pertain to believe so go check those all out uh jim's your social media is everywhere all around social media at sir james radio and if you can find my burner accounts i'll give you an extra 500 dollars. i am on the twitter sphere as intern underscore phil uh we again i'm just going to continue to say it until somebody tweets me a question uh i i will keep this this thing going it's been going on for at least two or three months now tweet me a question Angels related that you want answered on the show, or even if it's about Baker Mayfield, uh, we'll be happy to answer yeah, it. Tweet Phil about how wrong he is. Whatever. Uh, tweet me that question or that criticism. I'll be happy to send you something Angels related. Or if you're not an Angels fan, I know we have fans from other areas. Uh, I'll send you some cool. I promise. Um, uh, regarding your your favorite team. So again, at intern underscore Phil. Uh, with that, if you're interested in advertising, again, BLEAV.com. We've got a bunch of great shows on this network. We're launching shows constantly, um, and and we're I've been excited to see that new topics are always popping up. We really do have something for everybody uh, to, to, to check out on this network. So with that, uh, on behalf of Jim and myself, I want to wish you guys a great rest of your work, of your week. Excuse me. Uh, be safe out there. Restrictions are being lifted, so just be careful uh, and, and don't rush into things if you're not comfortable. And with that, Jim, say bye. I love you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.